0: Welcome, folks, to the Inside Line F1 podcast. The season is over, but the action isn't. Now, here on the Insideline F1 podcast, we always tend to look at Formula One from a different lens altogether. We we tend to look at it in a more humorous way, in a more funny, in a more nonsensical way, which is why we had the Parody Awards last week, folks. And if you haven't checked that out yet, go check it out right now. But the one gentleman that we're going to have with us on the podcast today has a completely different perspective to the sport. He doesn't... Okay, I'm not going to say he doesn't leave you laughing because there are moments where that does come in, but he leaves you bewildered, fascinated that, oh, wow, this is also a way to look at the sport. My journey watching his stuff started off with Senna back in the day. And that was one movie at the end where you are just like, wow, I want more. Even though, even though you know the journey of the man has unfortunately ended, you're just hungry to know more about it. That's the kind of work that the man we have today makes. There's Senna, there's Heroes, there's so many other documentaries in the middle that he's made. Folks, we're so grateful to be joined by the Formula One storyteller, Manish Pandey. Manish, welcome to the Inside Line Up One podcast. I'm still jumping around because as a kid, I watched Senna. I was like, oh, wouldn't it be amazing to discuss Formula One with this man right here? And luckily, you're just coming up with a new series called Lucky. Got the link? No, let it be. Let us start. But it's so amazing to talk to you about that. But firstly, I've got to ask you, how are you doing? How does it feel to finally sign off for the final episode of Lucky with the process of finally getting done?
1: We, um, we had to go to two different um, uh, screening rooms, actually. One in Hackney, then we came back to um, Soho. So it had a very weird ending. We, um, we had to say goodbye to episode six and then episode eight because of the way that the, kind of the machine works. And um, we all looked at each other after we'd said goodbye to episode eight. And I'd calculated it was three years, one month and 27 days since I'd seen Bernie and he'd said, yes. So October the 8th, 2019 was the day I shook Bernie's hand. And um, exactly that period of time later, um, the team, we were just looking at each other. And then I said, let's all go and get drunk. <laughs> That's what we did. <laughs> we, just, we went to a fantastic bar and restaurant, which is around the corner from the edit. Um, very nice lady gave us a table for eight, even though there were six of us. And um, it was pink and it was fizzy and it didn't stop. And it was great. And there are some hangovers in life, which you should savor. I haven't had a a decent hangover in a long time. So it's a lovely feeling waking up this morning.
0: (laughs) I hope you remember last night. I mean, that's great that you actually remember some events of it, which is (laughs) incredible. But I I love the fact, Manish, that you've also dabbed. The history of Formula 1. Because when I watched the teaser for this one, I was like, wow, great. If trying to survive is the introductory for new fans, this feels like something to drive them deeper into the sport. And maybe something for, let's say, fans like myself who've been watching for so long and want to know the backstory of those moments in time. So what was the whole ideation process like? How did you decide that, okay, this is what we're going to do? And what is lucky in your own words? A recollection of Formula 1, narrated by Bernie, or just, just what is it according to you? Well,
1: I think Bernie actually summed it up best. He said that um, you know what we're going to do is it's going to be me telling the story of Formula One and how it happened, and that's it. You know, and he, he you know he's a master at sort of storytelling too. And I mean, the, I've got to take you back to the summer really of 2019. So before the pandemic, we just finished Heroes, and we had a premiere for it in London, and both Bernie and Jean Todd came. And it was very, very good that uh, they both came in. And um, I got to spend a bit of time with each of them before and afterwards. And, uh, you know, I've always had a, a really good relationship with Bernie ever since Senna. We always stayed in touch. We never, um, you know, he's not, uh, sorry, there's a cuckoo clock going off in the background. <laughs> I just <I'm laughs> in Switzerland. Apologies. Um so um we'd always stayed in touch and I that summer I thought I really, really want to tell Bernie's story. It was actually um halfway through the third season post Bernie in Formula One. And with Bernie, you don't approach him with half an idea. Okay, his time is too busy, he's too smart, he's too you know, if you want a decision, go in with a proper proposition. So I spent the summer thinking, well, look, what would it really be? Is it a movie? And I thought, no, no, he's, he's, um he, you know, he was, he was pushing 90, 89. You know, we're not going to get that until 100 minutes. And there are no obvious three acts anyway, in my opinion. Then I thought, okay, if it's a multi-parter, w- what a, what do I want from that? I and mean, that's always got to be the kind of big question, partly as a fanboy and partly as a, as a filmmaker, TV maker. And I thought, do you know what I would love is I'd just love to know how this circus came into being. Because it all looks so effortless, it all just it all just works. And uh, you know, you're just used to seeing yet another world leader, another world champion, and you know, and so I thought <clears throat> first of all he's he's got the kind of authority where I don't think we should have multiple voices. So we made one big I think decision which was this would be only Bernie narrating, no one else. So there if you're looking for multiple talking heads and him saying something and then cut to Flavio saying something then cut to Dave Richard saying something that's this isn't this isn't the series that that does that. So when I knew it was him, then the next bit was really obvious, which was, you know, Benny has this amazing white hair, white goatee, always wears a white shirt. And then he's tanned, you know, he spent time in Ibiza in Switzerland, in Brazil. He's got the beautiful, so very even tan and very blue eyes. And I thought, you know, what we've got to do is we've got to shoot him on a white background. We have to shoot him so he looks like he's speaking to you from another world. I mean, he looks like God right? That's what he looks like. He looks like God. And um, so that was the next part to sort of set that up. And then I thought to myself, I think this lends itself to be eight parts. And I kind of worked out what each part would be. And some of them are, I mean, episode eight begins in 2005 and it ends in 2016. So it's an episode which actually spans uh, 12 seasons. Such so a long, you know, a, a long time. But the key moments in his life are what drive it, not the number of years. On the other hand, if you look at episode four, it's just 81, 82, 83. It's just three years. So you've got this really compact chunk of storytelling because what you, what you should do as a good writer, as a good filmmaker, is find that tightest bit of story arc and what you have in 81 82 83 is a man who his team's working and they beat the french and now he really is running formula 1 the way he wants but then they obviously will just turn on each other cuz that's how it works in formula 1 right that's kind of how it works it's 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 all about ultra competition and that's what i think unconsciously we love about it and i think and that is effectively What he tells you over eight episodes. I mean, the story begins at Silverstone in 1950, and um, he was there. He was a fan. I mean, you you can't ask for more than that. As a and he he stayed in. He slept in his car with his dad because there were no hotels. So this is a young fan who goes and his description of the race. You know, we, we recorded this beautiful description of the race. I had goosebumps when we found the archive. His description, it was uncanny. And when you watch that first episode, you'll think I scripted it. I absolutely didn't. It's just uncanny. He says the king and the queen were there. The old, old king and the queen. Queen Elizabeth is there as a princess. You know, and this is the whole point. It's just, it is the most, it's the it's most beautiful, evocative story. And you see this young man who's a fan, who becomes a driver manager twice, and he gets bitten very very hard and and the story actually in episode 1 ends um in 1970 I and mean, I won't you know I won't tell you what happened and there's a moment of real reflection for Bernie does he carry on in formula 1 or does he walk away because it's that kind of it's that kind of time it's that kind of journey and he he chooses to stay and then you see him you know those early days at Brabham, those early relationships with the founding fathers, if you like, of modern Formula One, Frank Williams, Teddy Mayer, predating Ron Dennis, Colin Chapman, the god they all believed in, really, Ken Tyrrell, Max Mosley, and sitting there just at the edge of the circles, Enzo Ferrari, and then his protege, Luca Montezemolo. So it begins, you know, with these incredible meetings at Heathrow Airport, where they forge the future of the sport that we love. And one other thing became very, very clear was um, I wanted, if I could have filmed this, we would have filmed those meetings, but there was no reality in those days. No cameras were allowed in. So we actually approached some animation companies and we've actually animated those meetings in a manga style narrated by Bernie. So we take you into those meetings and they pay off. Right at the end, in episode eight, they pay off in a very emotional way, um, which, again, I won't ruin for you. So I had all of these ideas. I went, I, I sent um, I, I sent Bernie's assistants an email on, um, on a Friday at 10 to 5, and at 5 o'clock, they pinged back said, yeah, he's free, Monday or Tuesday. Um, I had a clinic on Monday morning. I trained as a doctor, so uh, I was still doing a day a week. So I made it Tuesday morning. And um, it was it was great. I went to see him at 11 and um, I got to the point quickly. I said, look, I want to do this show. It's going to be about you. The whole thing, start at the beginning, finish now. No, nothing off topic. you got to just talk about everything. Go for it. Um, no other voices. I'll illustrate it with archive. Got to do a big Formula One deal, but we'll get on with that. What do you think? And he looked at me and he has this way of kind of calculating as he looks at you. You can see it held out his hands, we shook hands. He said, if you're going to do it, it'll be good, won't it? And I said, I'll try. And that was it. We shook hands. And um, when you shake hands with him, it's a deal. That's the one thing you know about him. Same with Senna. You shake hands with him and you have a deal. And unfortunately, COVID got in the way. (laughs) So, um, you know, we all suffered that very dark time that basically took a year out of all of our lives. Uh, Bernie went to Brazil uh, he moved back to Switzerland in the summer of 2020, because I think the pandemic had really hit Brazil very hard. But he had another little sort of joyous secret, of course. His wife was very pregnant. So Ace was born in Switzerland. And then in September, he gave me a call and said, OK, let's do it. So uh, that's that's what happened. End of September, I went off. There were no vaccines at the time. So uh, tests were very expensive. So I decamped. I ended up being in Stade for a month. I self-isolated for ten days, and we'd shoot for an hour and a half in the morning, hour and a half in the evening. And I have to say, I loved it. I loved every moment of it because there he was, answering all of those questions. And actually, you know, he's brilliant sense of humour, so dry, you know. You and it's all there if you can be bothered to listen. And you know, and I, we could be bothered to listen. And. I, I wouldn't say that we have a friendship. He has friends. He has family. But, you know, I'd say that, you know, there there is some closeness there for sure. I speak to him and it, it, it's great. You know, I got to meet and know the man who created the thing apart from my family and my dog I love the most in the world, you know. And 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 as you said, actually, um, you said it, Samuel, that you can create lots of contemporary shows in Formula One. And that will give you an absolute appreciation for for the sport as it is now. But I would argue it's a little bit like using a revision guide. There's nothing, you know, before your exams, but there's nothing like going back to class and learning something from first principles. Because when you join those dots up, that's when you have... Hopefully, a fan, you know, fantastic fan base. The fans are going to go, hey, you know what you remind me of? You remind me of Elio Angeles. Wait a minute. this I've seen this car before. Oh, come on. that I've seen that spot. You know what I mean? It's like when you connect that deeper structure and you realize there's really nothing new in the world, um, I think that's when you get real engagement, you know. And, and, and I love that because I, my personal black hole was – the I was pretty good up to 1958. I used to be a bit rubbish at 60. I would say sort of 1960 to 1973 were my black holes. And that's some of the best storytelling Bernie does, you know? So I got to sort of, you know, scratch an itch as well, you know, educate myself too.
0: Hang on. I have so many questions to ask, Manish. I'm going to start off with this one. It's almost, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, it's almost like you've made something to, satisfy your own curiosity and you mm-hmm. represent such a big part of the formula one fan base as well i, I wouldn't call us the oldies but those yeah. who've just watched it for a long time and so curious about the past because the past of formula one has so many fun stories like i love that you have been able to capture let's say the interactions of bernie and nikki lauda bernie and jock and rindt i've seen clips on that on twitter and i'm so excited for that about how bernie controlled power in formula one that is also, I mean, how he got to it in the first place. I mean, out of all these brilliant stories that you've got, which one excites you the most? Because you've been following the sport for just so long and, and there must be some curiosity, right? Okay, this is the one I'd love to hear from Bernie. Which one was that for you?
1: I mean, Actually, if I can, there are two key moments. There's a meeting that uh, I think at which he really genuinely arrived in Formula One was in, in South Africa, In 1972, he sat down with the team bosses and said, We need to turn this into a business. And they all turned around and said, No. You want to turn it into a business, you turn it into a business. Okay, we are racing people. This is what we do. And that was it. That was the moment where there was a basic divergence between Bernie Eccleston, even though he owned Brabham, and all the others I've already mentioned. OK, that, that's the moment Formula One, in my mind, modern Formula One was born at that meeting. And I remember there were some apocryphal stories about it, saying that Bernie walked around, he put an envelope down and the team owners opened it. And I said, is that what happened? He said, no, that's total bollocks. I <laughs> so just couldn't stop laughing. He said, this is the problem. You know, people glamorize stuff is said it's much more straightforward than that. You know, life is at times a little bit more boring than that. You come up with a proposal, people say no. And that's what they did. But what they did was effectively empower him to transform the sport. And while they were very, very concerned with making ends meet, how do I get to the next Grand Prix, my driver's leaving me, my sponsor's leaving me, he was able to deal with all of that and also create the sport around it. So that, that was the first it was brilliant hearing it from him. And we've actually, it's one of my favourite animations as well, uh, because you really feel, I, I think, a little it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek too, because the, the way that we've set up the room, you know. Uh, but, um, and the second thing was just hearing his accounts of May the 1st, 1994. You know, I've, I've read so many accounts of that day. I've read so many accounts of what Bernie is said to have said on that day said to have done on that day but to ask him about probably the most traumatic day you know definitely in any sporting context of my life you know it was horrible I loved Senna it was a horrible day and um you know I got to ask Bernie tell me what happened what were you doing how did it unfold and he tells you and he tells you straight and he you know it it, it's very sort of heartbreaking. His explanation, the, then the aftermath, going to um, going to Sao Paulo. We found some archive, and, and Bernie, he doesn't he, he doesn't shirk from things because they're difficult to say. You know, he 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 says, you know, I wasn't popular with the family. You know, and he, but he also he's a human being. He understands that in that moment. Why would he be? They're looking for someone to blame. Blame the man who put the circus together. So, you know, th- those those for me are two very powerful men. And then the, the bit that I defy anyone not to absolutely have a massive lump in their throat about is hearing him his last day at work. You know, oh. it's just an unbelievable. And because he's so English, he tells it so straight. There's no attempt... To cajole sympathy, there's no rolling of eyes. He's not. He's so straight, so correct, so British. You know, it kills you, it
0: kills me. You've sold me on Manish already. You've already yeah. sold me. I, I can't wait. But it just gets me curious. If these are so many stories that you've managed to get in, was there any one story that you had to force out? Because in the Sorry. middle, right? Because 2005, no, 2016. Good. No, you've not. There's not one. <laughs> not one, loads
1: and loads and loads. I mean, the thing, you know, we've got eight times 47 minutes, okay? We've got lots of archive. We've got to get races in, other personalities in. So can we tell every story, you know? It, it, no, and that's what's... It, it is a bit frustrating that some of them kind of got left behind, but it was much the same with Santa. you know? Uh, I think we've picked the stories that keep the narrative going and y- you you get a sense of development, not just of Bernie's character, and a sense of his personal life, but of, but of these cohorts. And, you know, I don't think there's a, a major driver we've left out. And it's not just a question of lip service. So just going, oh, he did seven fastest laps. We don't do it like that. We try to tell the stories of these drivers in a, in a very character-driven way. And, and, and it's Bernie's perception of that character. So what you'll find is in the first four episodes... It's got a very on-track feel because Bernie's a team owner. Bernie was a manager. Bernie actually used to be able to drive a car. You know, he was a racing driver. He had a Cooper 500. We actually found color archive of him driving that car. So you'll see it, right? But then as Bernie becomes this empresario, it's got a slightly less trackside feel it's got a feel of, ah, oh, he's a man now. He's now starting to really conduct the orchestra. So you're maybe a little less forensic on what's going on on the ground, but a little bit more like, what would the empresario be seeing here? What would he be thinking here? You know, so when you see, the, the, I, I was explaining earlier, there's a, there's a kind of, you know, in life, there's a kind of magic moment sometimes, which if you grab, makes you. And in my opinion, that was, um, you'll see it in episode six. By episode six, Um, episode 6 starts in 1988 and it finishes in 94 and the reason why I think it's a really important episode is because if I can liken it to um, a man who owns a beautiful theatre he finally pays off the debt he now owns the theatre he decorates it with beautiful gilt velvet curtains, the chairs are perfect the food is perfect the wine is perfect, the ice cream stall is perfect and then guess what happens John Gilgood. Vanessa Redgrave, um, Laurence Olivier, uh, Ralph Richardson—the greatest English stage actors—all appear at the same time. Just they just happen to work. So not only does he have the theatre, he has the actors. So he has Senna, he has Prost, he has Mansell, he has Piquet. and he even has the tail end of louder. So he's got the show, and now he's got the stars. And, you know, and what you realize is it's in that moment that he makes that, hey, you know, he really pushes television. Onboard cameras suddenly appear. We're suddenly watching it in a very visceral way. And because of Senna and Prost and because of Mansell and Piquet's characters, you're feeling something. It's not what you're seeing on track. You're constantly feeling something. And he knows it. And he knows it. And it's that, that's the moment, you know, as I said, 1972 South Africa is the the moment in the way modern Formula One was born for me, this period is directly linked to what we're watching now, you know to what we see and he saw it and he saw it way in advance.
0: Wow, but that gets me sort of conflicted on the name. Why lucky then? Because uh, that way we can all look at Bernie's vision about what he wanted to achieve, though he all he got all the teams together and then made Formula One something that he ruled with a iron fist. But then why lucky? What does that stand for in that case? So
1: it's a very, very tongue-in-cheek title, and it, it's based on that first meeting I had with him on October the 8th, 2019. Uh-huh. He, um, I, I, you know, I asked him that naive question that everybody asked him. I said, so how did you do it? And he said, you know, I never planned anything in my life. And, it, it, you know, this is a bit of a spoiler, actually, but you're right, he... You he didn't. He says he doesn't plan anything in his life. He's very modest about that, and he basically said, "I was lucky," and I couldn't get that out of my head. Like this guy, five feet three, has one working eye. He was educated till he was fifteen. He's working class. He grew up in the war. Can you spot any luck in any of this? I, mean, I just, you know, <laughs> just not one ounce of luck. And I just, I love the fact that he said he was lucky. You know, because he's in a way too modest to blow his own trumpet, but also it's a great way of closing me down, isn't it? It's great. I was lucky. (laughs) Where are you going to go from there?
0: (laughs) That is so unapologetically Bernie, isn't it? Yes.
1: Yes. Yes. Uh, In the opening title sequence, you can see, you know, all of these characters, but all the characters behind them all become Bernie. And that's yes. kind of the metaphor, you know, for that 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 cutting. That's a whole point. He's directing everything. And then when he turns around, you know, he is everything. And in big sort of ironic words, I was lucky.
0: <laughs> oh my goodness. Which so you've you've got Bernie convinced. You've got you were lucky enough to get him to talk to you in that place as well, which is also Very. another play because it's kind of a lucky deal that Bernie is on, but Bernie is Bernie. He he has uh, wait, I can't call it tantrums, but he has Bernieisms, if that makes sense. I mean, quirks that he's very particular about things. I've heard uh, just in that sense, right? You, you said you had to fly out all the way to Switzerland, say ten days quarantine, just to get a just to get a glimpse of this man talking about the history of Formula One. And then once you had him on, what was it like? Was it ever? Because you mentioned he's very straightforward, but what what is he like otherwise? Is he does not fear things at all in the way of what to say? Is he? Well, no, why why would I, he be doing it in a way?
1: You know, people have asked me this, and I think you know the simple answer is legacy. I think the more subtle answers. I think he's also doing it for his son. You know, and I think that's a good reason to tell your story. I think it's a it's a wonderful thing when you're a father. I, I, you know, I it it changes. I think it changes everything. I think um, what I've seen of him. I got to know him a little bit, you know, away from the camera too, is he's, he's, a, he's almost monastic. People find that quite difficult to understand, but he's so, in some ways, so simple. I really love it. It's, you know, food does not fly from Maxine to his house every day. And he doesn't have a three-star Michelin chef doing it. I mean, he can eat at places like that if he wants to. But, um, you know, he always makes me smile because he says things like, um, do you want to, do you want to drink if we were having lunch? And i I'd always go no, because I, I just can't drink during the day, except for yesterday, obviously. And, um, but he, uh, you know, it's very simple. If he's going to have a drink, he'll have maybe half a beer. He, um, he, he, there's, a, there's an essential simplicity and straightforwardness to him, which I really like, which I found unexpected. And he treats people as he finds them. You, you want to be a smart ass, okay? You're being a smart ass with exactly the wrong human being. OK, because he will just he's so intelligent. It's very difficult. I, I find it quite difficult to articulate how brilliant he is. Um, I got to know Professor Sid Watkins very well um, during the making of Senna. I mean, very well. I mean, we really became friends. And, you know, it was a, a bad day in my life when he died. And um, but we would talk a lot Doctor to doctor, he used to introduce me as a failed neurosurgeon because he thinks orthopedics is failed. <laughs> you know, orthopedics is the bit you do to take the bit of bone out, so you can do your actual work. So um, he was a really lovely guy. Shared the same humour with Bernie, and they knew each other well. And <clears throat> he said, he used to say to me almost in, in in an almost real way, I think he's got a third lobe, third men, you know brain lobe. He's just his 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 apprehension is so clever. He's got this half of his brain is just this mathematical machine. And then the other half is just amazing with people, with dates, with memories, with recollections, you know, just, it's such a powerful combination. So if you like, you know, he's worked out all the odds before he's met you, then he meets you and then works you out. So there's a mathematical side and a human side to it. And if you're trying to achieve something, you know, having both of those at your fingertips is, it, it's incredible. And fundamentally, I think he's, in some ways, he's very shy. In other ways, I think he really likes people. He really does like people. He just doesn't like, he doesn't like sycophants. He really doesn't suffer fools. You know, if you don't know, he was constantly testing me. I'll give you a really simple example. Um, at the height of the Foca War, okay, uh, end of 80, beginning of 81, so before the the Maranello Modena agreement, before the Concord agreement, the teams Bernie Brackett made a decision they would race in South Africa. Okay, they said they'd do that. Goodyear withdrew, and uh, and I and he he I just needed him to tell me the story why they went, what was that about? Okay, and uh, he said, uh, "Oh, did we race in South Africa?" I can't remember. I said, "You did." He said, "We had a we had a technical problem, didn't we?" Like, I just can't remember what it was. And I said, "Uh." yeah, the technical problem was you didn't have tires. He said, oh, how do we get around that? And I said, um, you owned a company which had tires. He said, what were they? And I said, Avon tires. And then he went, oh, yeah, it's come back to me. And he was testing me, right? He was not going to tell me that story if I didn't know what the hell I was talking about. But because I knew what I was talking about. He told a story, and it's a great story. Why is that story relevant? It's not as nerdy as it sounds, right? And by the way, loads of chunks of what I've just said aren't in the, um, they're not in the, the you, could, you, you don't need to know that. What you need to know is that he was demonstrating something very straightforward. The governing body can set the rules. The governing body can measure how long your car is, how high it is, what your tire pressure is. The governing body can't put a race on. And that's what he was demonstrating. Do you know what? You need jumbo jets to put cars on. So have you got the phone number of a jumbo jet company? How do you get the cars from the jumbo jet at the other end to the circuit? Have you got the keys to the circuit? How do you get the circuit paid for? How do you do safety? What he was demonstrating was they made the rules, but he made the racing. And once he made that statement, it was pretty clear there was going to be peace on his terms. You know, and that's who you're dealing with. He's just a, just brilliant man. Not scared of a fight at all. Not, not scared. Not intimidated by anything. And he is fearless. He's a
0: fearless man. But were you somewhat scared in the first interaction when you first met him? When were you the first oh, yeah, meet Because I it mean, must have been I'm before. Scared now I am scared. How did <laughs> <laughs> prepare so before meeting Bernie?
1: <laughs> yeah, no, no you, you have to pinch yourself just because people are nice to you, right? They give you well, what Bernie's now 92. What's the most valuable commodity he has? What do you think it is? Yeah, it's his time. He's it's given, time yeah, yeah, he's given me eight weeks of his life. You know, I've, I wouldn't trade that for 10 billion dollars. I mean, this is a sport that I love. I've heard the stories from the horse's mouth, managed to capture them. We've put this together in the best way we know how. And it's amazing. And I pinch myself every day, but I don't, I don't, it's um, the right way of putting it. I, it doesn't diminish my absolute respect for him by 1%. You know, this is a great man. You know, he genuinely is. And I've met very few people, you know, who I just almost put in that kind of bracket. You know, a visionary Someone who made things happen. Listen, do I agree with him politically 100% on stuff? Absolutely not. Do I agree with him socially on loads of stuff? Absolutely not. But do I respect him as a 92 year old from a different generation who's really seen the world, grew up in a war, has seen proper poverty, you know, who was going making deals at the times of military dictatorships? You You know, you wouldn't get me on a plane to Argentina in 1972, I can tell you that, you know. So you're, you're dealing with somebody who really thought through things. He is Sun Tzu in the art of war. He thinks through every single aspect of a battle, every contingency, and he always wins.
0: I've always wondered how, and I think this is just going to give a little bit more of an insight about Bernie. It's, I love that you've chosen him because, he, as you mentioned earlier, he's seen everything, and he essentially was what Formula 1 stands for in all this way. Oh, it's, it's amazing. Amazing how things are going to pan out. But I, I want to focus more on the archives as well because you released a couple of clips on your Twitter which were basically footages of back in the days, right? When F1 went to Las Vegas, Bernie dealing with all the olden drivers and you got archive footage for that. So you mentioned that we will deal with Formula 1 with the footage earlier on the episode. What was that like? Because, of course, they now are more open than Bernie was in his time. But was it still quite a headache to find all that stuff because I was astounded watching just the last Vegas circuit being prepared. I was like, "Wow, okay, this is stuff I' never imagined. I mean, I knew that they did it in the middle of the hotel, but just watching it go past and all that stuff is amazing
1: so i mean i'm I'm very lucky, We've got a fantastic relationship with Formula One. I think you know um the the person who really is the head of media content. Ian Holmes he was there back in the day at Senna so I've known Ian now since 2006 so it's a long time to know someone and uh, I think you know he knows how passionate we are and how knowledgeable we are as a team and how you know we don't we would never abuse in any way kind of access to archive like that quite the opposite it's like being allowed into the Bodleian library but also to borrow some old books and take them back to your room you know that's effectively what they gave us which is Extraordinary, unprecedented. It was done, I think, obviously partly because this project's about Bernie. But I think they know this will be fantastic for Formula One. And um, I think, so, So you know, we, we had to do a deal. It was a complicated deal, a long deal. Um, it recognized certain rights. It re- recognized a certain amount of access, um, which, to be honest, um was kind of incredible because we had remote access this time and it was just done so so we could sort of really search for stuff on our own terms if that makes sense you know with Sena I remember I went in with Asif and Paul uh our um our archive producer at the time and we would spend we had two solid weeks together with another week for research and another week for odds and solves and um they'd have to pull tapes and you'd be watching reasonably randomly. There are no search engine words, all of that so much better now, you know, you could, you know, it's, it's not perfect, but it's so much better now. And it just meant that we could really hone in on telling you stories. Hopefully. I mean, again, I hope I'm not giving it. So in 2008, um, I think we've all seen Lewis win that fantastic championship in Brazil. And I think we've seen it from most angles, but what we were able to do was find the onboard. So telling that story purely from Lewis's onboard, only cutting away to the garage, no exterior shots of the car. That's an artistic decision. The camera fogs up. You hear voices on the radio, but it's so visceral. It's so emotional. Is that clock? Is that clock? It is clock. You know, it's it's this amazing moment. You're seeing it from Lewis's point of view. And we were able to do a few little things like that, which hopefully you've never seen before. So that's kind of great. But at the same time, you know, stuff that you think you know, um, maybe we've been able to tell it to you from Bernie's point of view so that you have a completely different perspective on it. And, you know, it's so, so in that way, it, it's been brilliant. It's storytelling with the archive and with Bernie being the kind of, you know, overall overall narrator, and that's it but we use as i said we used animation for these we also use some some print archives so you don't see newspapers whirling but just literally sometimes key headlines and the source or a little bit of because what he'll do is sometimes he'll lead you to the garden path but he won't open the gate and we need to open the gate for the audience a little bit more and it's great because you if you go into this very passively i'm not sure it's going to be the most rewarding series so if you sit there with 20 beers and some crisps and you just lean back, you go, what did he say again? Because Bernie, when he speaks, you need to lean forward. You need to listen. You need to listen to him. But if you go into it with a bit of an inquiring mind, you don't need any knowledge, but you need to be interested. Uh, I think he sucks you right in. He, you know, he, I, he sucks us right in. and And you're there and he's telling you a story, whether it's the story of, Uh, stealing Niki Lauda from Enzo Ferrari or having Carlos Reutemann stolen from him by Enzo Ferrari. You know, it's all there, all subtle, you know, and and that's who he is.
0: I think a lot of it has to be attributed to your work as well, Manish, because we've seen this before from you. I mean, I, I just don't get the story of how someone who's a practicing doctor ends up becoming a Formula One storyteller. Because for me, I've always been curious. I I, I remember Senna Pop along back when I was a kid. I was like, okay, wow. I've heard this name for the first time, but this is an outstanding movie. But how did it come for you? Your love Formula One and also decided that, okay, I'm going to be the one who shares the stories of it. Because you've shared so many brilliant ones. How did that moment come in when you decided, okay, this is what I want to do? I think I always knew,
1: to be honest. But my father was a doctor, stepmother was a doctor, my sister is a doctor, my aunt's a doctor, we're a very medical family. And like normal Indian kids, if you're academic, you have a binary choice, don't you, now? I suppose there are three choices now. You can be a doctor, a lawyer, or an investment banker, I guess. Or, or tech, I assume <laughs> now. But, you know, back in my day, it was basically, yeah, you're going to become a doctor, you're going to become a lawyer, and that's it. So, you know, I, I I... I was never a, it's very funny this. I remember my very, very, very first lecture at Cambridge. It was an anatomy lecture. And um, the anatomy lecturer was talking to a bunch of fresh medical students, 200 of us, and um, about Galen, you know, and the history of anatomy. And you know what it felt like? And I, have you ever seen the Snoopy cartoons, the Charlie Brown cartoons they were very big cartoons in America in the 70s. And uh, what they would do is to show you how bored and disconnected the school kids were to the teacher. You'd see the teacher <laughs> see the kid talking to somebody whose face you don't see. And they had no voice. They just had this noise. Wa wah, 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 wah. <laughs> you see this child. With a completely flat face going, yes, Miss. that's what I felt like. I just knew that day I did not belong in there. And I think it's just sheer pig-headedness that got me through. And I went from being a really good student to being a spectacularly useless one in a very small amount of time. But um, I did take it seriously right at the end, right at the end of my um, degree. And I did think about, very hard about, sort of a career in orthopedics. And that was a path that I was on, but I started writing and I actually started writing scripts. I found them, writing scripts is a very, it's very technical, which I really liked. It's really not novelistic. It really is really technical. And to do it really well, what you should be doing is seeing everything you're describing and hearing everything that a character says. And I found that I could do that. And I got an agent actually quite quickly. And I thought, oh, well, that's fine. I'm laughing. But actually, it took, from the moment I'd written my first script, to getting a story picked up. Actually, I bumped into Sheikha Kapoor. That's actually what did it. Totally randomly met Shaker just before he was making Elizabeth. Uh, we got walking. He gave me his email address. We stayed in touch. Elizabeth was a massive hit. And when he moved to London, he used to send me... He used to send me all his scripts that he'd get from his agent. So he'd get three scripts a day, and I'd read them in the evenings, and I'd think, gosh, I can do this. And I wrote a rom-com, actually, which he helped me set up at Working Title Films. Now, that was my first professional script. It was an amazing year. Unfortunately, they couldn't make the film, but I got to marry my producer, which was great. And uh, she and I... Exactly. So she and I... um, she had made a film with James Gay-Reese called... Um, it, was, it was a zombie movie. And James wanted to make a documentary on Senna. And he wanted to make a documentary about the death of Senna. So it was going to be about the last weekend of his life. And my wife said to him, you should meet Manish because uh, he really knows about Senna. He's brilliant really at Formula One. And I sat down with James and I said, look, I think your idea is very powerful, but I don't think it's going to work. And I'll tell you the two key reasons why it's not going to work. Number one... I think to appreciate Senna's death, you really need to appreciate his life. So I think the three acts in this, the two acts, the bulk of the story is the monumental achievements and conflicts that this man overcame. And then I think the last act is sadly going to be his death. I mean, that was the structure. And the second reason why this won't get made is because if you want to make something about the death of Senna, the family and Bernie will say, no, I'd never met either. But um, that was my feeling. So I worked on an outline, became a very detailed treatment. I flew to Sao Paulo. Uh, The studio sent James and me and I pitched to the family. His sister, you know, I got to meet her, which I still couldn't believe. I remember I can tell you right now what she was wearing. You know, it was that kind of day. And, um, you know, she burst into tears at the end and said, we're doing the film.
0: And you absolutely nailed it with that. I, I, yeah. I loved the point that you mentioned. To appreciate Senna's death, you have to appreciate his life. And I love that you've been able to capture it, which makes me even more excited for Lucky because I, I'm just wondering if you did that with Senna, was just a part of the Formula One story, a huge part nonetheless. But still, what is it going to be like when Bernie narrates it? I uh, can't wait. 27 December again, right? It can't come close enough, money, seriously. That, that. <laughs> It's going to be the ultimate post-Christmas gift that you, that you can ever have, and I'm already so excited for it. But I'm just wondering—you mentioned those stories that aren't going to be a part. You mentioned that you wish you could cover them already. Is there plans for a season two already? Can you see what's happening next? Because I, I, I'm already salivating at the thought of it.
1: Yeah, tell you what, I'd quite like to do one day. And it won't be soon. I think in a, a few years' time, when I'm sort of you know, we've got we've got a few things that we are lining up to do, but well, I wouldn't mind sitting down with the material when there's some space and maybe creating kind of the ultimate podcast with it. I just had this sort of thought that he's said so much. And I've also had this idea about doing it as what I I would call, we, we nickname it, maybe I've stolen this, I don't know, but a vodcast. So what you would do is you'd get the best photography you could find and tell longer form versions of each of these stories just underneath a still picture and then move to another picture. So it's a very different experience. You just sit in front of your TV and have Bernie narrate in long form and no movement. So you're not being distracted, but you're looking at a picture and you're analyzing it. You know, you choose a picture carefully, you can do that. And I think, I mean, I'd love to do something like that. That that would be a beautiful thing to do at some point in the future, I think, with this.
0: Wow. And and there's so many photographers we could have as well. And so many of the F1 archives, so many stories that, are just pictures but essentially un, untold in that way wow okay okay amazing my, my mind's really running extremely hard to imagine all those things right now but Manish uh, it's it was amazing having on the inside Line iPhone podcast I just think the next thing to do now is wait for the next 10 odd days seriously yeah,
1: that's well, the only well, thing I can do 21 days <laughs>
0: And When the episode goes out, it'll be 10. So that'll be even less for all of our dear listeners, but a little bit longer for us right now. But amazing, amazing. I'm so grateful that you took out the time to speak to us right here. Thank thank you very much. And I hope it really goes well, Manish, seriously, because there's no reason I can see why it wouldn't.
1: Sure. And I think Bernie, you know, he's so misunderstood, I think. Um, If we can get across that really strange mixture of essential simplicity yet this utterly complicated mind that's so apprehensive we can just get that balance across and this sense of humor you just you know he's 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 an entertainer and he is very entertaining if he wants to be
0: can't wait to see how that pans up but thank you once again Manish folks uh, this time I won't thank you for listening because it's nothing to be thankful Manish is such an excellent storyteller you just want to sit down and listen and I think that'll also be something we can potentially do someday this is your thoughts on the moments of Formula 1 but for now folks it's time to bid goodbye thank you for listening and have a good time and don't forget to watch Lucky because I am already been sold in and by this point if you're already here good chance that you are as well see you folks have a good time